You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hi, everybody. This is Rick Hadrava, your host for another edition of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm so glad you tuned in today. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I think it's an honor that we have John Warlow on the show today. Uh, I got to know John through his book, Built to Sell, several years ago. Um, I had been working with business owners, uh, got my exit planning designation back at that point, but was really struggling to connect with business owners because what I found is they didn't necessarily want to talk about exit. Um, And John's book, Built to Sell, really resonated with what I was trying to accomplish with business owners. And through that, I uh, got to know the program that John uh, has through the Value Builder System and became a certified coach myself and have been doing this work with business owners, I think, uh, five or six years now. And got to tell you, uh, you've got a guy that is genuine. He wants to see success for small business and medium-sized companies, actually probably all businesses. Um, So I'm excited that we get to spend some time. Let me introduce John by just giving a little background. He's an entrepreneur. He's an author with over 20 years of research experience in the small and medium business market. He founded the Value Builder System so that he could help these businesses level the playing field um, as they approach their exits or transitions. Over 35,000 businesses, and I think it's actually a little higher than that now, have taken the questionnaire. And with support from certified Value Builder coaches like myself, uh, we have been able to figure. We have been able to show business owners how they can statistically improve the company value by up to seventy-one percent by going through the methodology of the value builder system. As I talked about, John is an author. He has written "Built to Sell: Creating the Business That Can Thrive Without You." This book was recognized by Fortune and Inc. Magazine as one of the best business books in two thousand eleven. And it has been translated into four different languages. And I think that that's pretty important. Um, That just shows how how much traction that book got for John. In 2015, he followed that book up with the best-selling release by Random House called The Automatic Customer, Creating a Subscription Business in Any Industry. It's another book that I read. Matter of fact, I have it sitting with me here today. Uh, Highly recommend both of those for our business owner audience. John also is a sought after speaker. He's been a keynote for Fortune Magazine's Growth Summit, Entrepreneurs Organization, New York City and Toronto chapters, and the Inc. 500 Conference. He's also the host of Built to Sell Radio, ranked by Forbes Magazine as one of the world's 10 best podcasts for business owners, something that I listen to, it's on my list. I hope you'll add that to your list as well. So prior to founding the Value Builder System, John started and exited four companies, including a quantitative market research business that was acquired by the Corporate Executive Board in 2008. John is recognized by B2B Marketing as one of the top 10 business-to-business marketers in the United States. 
I think I think I get my point across. John brings a lot of value to our show today. Uh, no pun intended, John. John Warlow, let me thank you um, and let me welcome you to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. Man, with an intro like that, I better not screw things up too badly here. <laughs> you, you've got um, a, just a lot of good stuff that you've done. Listen, the obvious point for me, I think, in this is tell us why you chose to create the value builder system uh, in the first place. You know, I, I think it's it goes back to my own personal experience. You mentioned I've been involved in a few businesses. And, you know, I was always curious as to why the other guy was getting such incredible value for their company. And the experiences I was personally having was that the, the companies I was creating were just not valued at the same rate. I, you know, I had professional service companies and, and, and a market research business, as you mentioned. And, and, you know, I was just not getting the kind of valuations that I'd hear about in the, you know, in the public, you know, colleagues, friends, peers, just in, in, you know, in, in the, in the media. And I thought like, why, why is that? Why is, you know, a graphic design studio not valued as highly as a technology company, or why is a market research business not as valuable as a security company? And and so it it started this this kind of lifelong journey for me to try, and I'm still on the journey, by the way, Rick. You know, to try to figure out what drives value in a small company. I'll tell you a quick story. I was I was at a trade show, or this is early on in my career, and I, I you know, when you, you start chatting with the, your fellow vendors at a trade show. And this one guy came up to me and we both had sort of marketing communications agencies and, and, and he was sort of chatty and asked me a few questions about my company. And by the end of the trade show, he had made an offer to buy my business. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. How would you totally, how would you be prepared to do that? And, and he went on to describe this complicated scenario where he was going to give me some equity in his business in return for the hundred percent of equity in my company. And I mean, it was a complete sham what he was describing. It was, it, I was going to give up a hundred percent control of my business for like a minority part of a business that I didn't control, had no liquidity, had virtually no value. And it was just the most ridiculous thing in retrospect that I'd even consider it, but it happens all the time. Business owners, you know, there's, you know, we, we spend a lot of time making our widget, selling our widget, designing it, whatever. And we just don't get the luxury of thinking about how to, how to, how the end uh, works out. And, and so I've, I've really made it, you know, the, the better part of my last, I guess, 10 years, maybe my legacy business, if, if you'll allow me to use that term to try to try to explain what I've learned about what makes a, a small business valuable and frankly, what, what undermines the value of a business. So let's go back to that story because I, I think mm. that's intriguing for, from the standpoint of you considering that offer. Um, what was it at that point that, that made you even open up to the possibility of considering an offer like that, that uh, obviously wasn't, a good one for you. Look, I, I mean, this goes back. Uh, I'm 25 years, right? So I'm I'm a kid. I, I'm right out of school. It's kind of my first, you know, entrepreneurial journey. And someone's turning around and saying, "I want to buy your company." It's like the the, the, the panacea, the dream of every entrepreneur is that <laughs> is to have their company bought. And this guy, like, hardly knows me from Adam. Uh, you know, spent two days together at a trade show. He wants to buy my company. It was like I, I just hit the hit the lottery. 
So it's very, you know, retrospect again, this is a long time ago, but as I think and reflect on it now, it's, it's very rewarding. Um, it's an ego stroke, frankly, when someone says they want to buy your company. And, and, and by the way, buyers, what I've come to learn now is that acquirers use that against us as entrepreneurs, right? They will, they will lavish a small business owner with praise uh, to basically ingratiate themselves with the business owner so that they, they can get that business owner's guard down, get them to reveal more information than they naturally would, you know, if, if they weren't so kind of in this, in this glow. And, um, and then they use that uh, downstream to, to take advantage of business owners when they, when they want to exit. So, you know, it's, it's not an uncommon tactic. It's used every day by acquirers to try to, to try to, you know, lull business owners into a false sense of security. And so, um, you went on this journey and created the formula for the value builder, uh, system. And that was through your experience on the four companies that you had created and exited over time. That's right. Uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot of times is I, I'm not a business broker. I'm not an M&A person. My goal is to help a business owner that's considering transitioning to be as well prepared for those conversations um, as possible. Because I think a lot of times small business owners, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, but in your experience, um, small business owners often will not engage the right people to help them um, through that transaction. And I think that's where what I hear you say is that's where they become really susceptible. Oh man, yeah. And and look, I don't want to be so negative, but I but I do see every day business owners make the mistake of getting sucked into what M&A professionals call a proprietary deal. And so a proprietary deal is one in which the buyer, whether it's a corporate development person in a big company or you know an individual buyer or strategic, they have proprietary or exclusive access to a business that is considering selling. And so this is the ultimate goal of most acquirers is to get you as a small business owner to engage in a conversation with them um, and, and, and that eventually they're going to lock you up in, in a no shop clause, which means you sign a way that writes to negotiate with other parties. As soon as you do that, the leverage in the conversation totally changes in favor of the buyer. They lengthen due diligence. They ask for things that are totally out of market. They lower the price for your business. And all the time you're emotionally kind of, uh, you're committed to the sale, but unfortunately, they're not emotionally committed to buying your company. And so you can come up, pull up from one of these deals 90 days after uh, the buyers walked away. Um, you're left with much less than you thought you had in your company and, and you, you really don't have anything to show for it. So that's called a proprietary deal. And so what we don't want business owners to do is get suckered into that. They need advisors like you and others who are really being their Robin Hood is to, it, it is 100% focused on their well-being so that when a small business owner comes to you and says, hey, you know, I'm starting to think, you know, next three, five years, I'm thinking of exiting. You really choreograph that next three to five years for them. So you're bringing in 
you know, the right people at the right time. There's so many mistakes you can make. And it's like, it's like that old expression, you can't put the genie in the bottle. I've heard it as similar, you know, you can't untoast that bread. Um, <laughs> you can't put the toothpaste back in there. Like once you have a conversation with an acquirer and you answer a question like, hey, Bob, what do you want for your business? And, and Bob naively says, well, you know, I think I'd like X. Well, Bob just put a ceiling beyond which he will never sell his company for to that buyer uh, anywhere close to, right? Uh, but it's a, it's a it's a it's a relatively what sounds like a relatively benign question to answer, but it's a huge mistake to answer that question. And it's just like there are dozens of mistakes we can make as entrepreneurs when we just don't know the process. And it's you know, as you know, Rick, I mean the. Um, we just don't, we, we only get one shot at selling our life's work, right? And so you really need someone who can kind of advise, know what questions not to answer, know how to answer specific questions, know how to get the right people to the table. There's just so much complexity to it. And I see it every day where small business owners kind of start to go down the path with a, an acquirer and end up, you know, halfway through the process, regretting a lot of the things they've said and done. Yeah, it's absolutely the point. And that's one of the things that I get excited about is when you can just show them kind of a step-by-step process to to take a look, let's be honest, take a little of the emotion out and and really look at defining, hey, what is it that financially, what do we have to get from the company for our personal? Um, how do we do that in an efficient manner? All the different things that go along with that. But the value builder score, what I like about it is it's a way to take a snapshot for somebody who's considering transitioning, whether it's a couple years down the road or look, let's be honest, some, some businesses today, and I advocate that the business owner, you know, retirement's a different definition maybe 20 years from now. And that owning a business that that has different income streams and can run without you, right, is valuable. And that that's what I like about, about the value builder um, program and the way we score and just kind of can look at things differently. John, let me ask you this. We've, you've done over 35,000 of these um, collection data points, we'll call them. Actually, it's more than that, if I, if I remember right. What have you learned from that data that maybe um, you hadn't considered early on as your program was launched? Wow, great question. Um, yeah, so so for folks who who may not have seen Value Builder, essentially we it's like an X-ray for your business. We get we answer a uh, we get you to answer a series of questions about your company, and we come back with um, a readout, a diagnostic of of how you're performing in the areas that acquirers care about. So it's things like how much you know growth potential your company has, how much recurring revenue you have, how dependent the company is on you personally. So these are all attributes that that roll up into your Value Builder score. Um, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned Built to Sell in the, in, the, in the beginning, you know, the core idea behind that book and what really inspired Value Builder was this idea, easy for me to say, difficult to do, is creating a business that can succeed without you personally, the owner, running it. And again, it's easy for me to just kind of throw that out there, but it's incredibly difficult to do that. But if you're able to successfully do that, you you can create a, a valuable business that can be transferred. Because if you think about it, when you sell your business, you're leaving essentially in most cases. In other words, for that to have any value, transferable value, it, it needs to be able to work without you personally, the owner. I think, you know, that's that's what 
inspired the value builder system and the book. Um, but your question was slightly different, Rick, in, in the sense of it was more around the idea of like, what have we learned since then? Um, probably for me, you know, as we've started to dig in and you're right, it's, it's actually closer to 50,000 now, um, of, of business owners who've completed the value better questionnaire. We've, we've had the luxury of data. So we've done a lot of analysis and number crunching to figure out which drivers are the most important. Um, you know, one really pops to mind out of the gate of the eight that I think is is perhaps while I you know I think we sort of knew it going into the analysis, it, it certainly has become even more accentuated. And that is how well differentiated your product or service is from its competitors. Again, we think of marketing differentiation all the time. This idea of you know blue ocean strategy or category of one. So that idea is not necessarily new, but it's it's certainly important to acquirers because here's what happens when an acquirer um again be it a private equity group or a strategic when they go and buy your company they have a secret conversation that takes place usually in a boardroom behind closed doors when you're not in the room and the conversation goes something like this you know you know bob's built this great business x revenue y profit you know this much recurring do we need to buy his business or should we just compete with him? In other words, has he got something that's so unique that we don't really have any shot of replicating what he's created? Or is what he's built relatively easy to knock off? And if the answer to the second, the question is, it's relatively easy to knock off, meaning we could offer the same thing, just lower the price and pick up his business, they're never going to buy the company because it's more costly to buy the company than it would be to simply lower the price on whatever you're selling and compete with you. Where business uh, uh, acquirers make that different decision is when what you've created is totally unique, is whether it's been branded as unique or whether it truly is unique. And they make the calculus that, man, to compete with this guy on this product, it's going to take us years to build what he's built or, you know, uh, millions of dollars to replicate what he or she has created. And therefore, you know what, let's just buy the company. That's such an important message to drive home um, because, uh, you know, buyers are smart. Uh, they're not going to buy a business they could easily create um, or replicate. That's, and, you know, it's interesting because we learn more and more in this day and age that there's a lot of commoditization. And, yeah. and so, you know, one of the things that we focus on in some of our workshop stuff is freedom. It's funny that you say what I've come to realize through uh, my experience with business owners and through the work I've done with with Value Builder is essentially business owners want freedom. Right? Yeah. And and well, and I should say not all of them, uh, but a majority of them, when we ask, they say, I want I want financial freedom, but I want freedom of time. Maybe I want to pursue other bigger things that are on my mind. Um, and, and what's great about the value builder is, and you said this, is when you look at your company through the eyes of an acquirer, it starts to be revealing. You start to think differently strategically uh, sometimes. And so we talk a lot about uh, as much the, the client that we're dealing with. And, um, you know, one of the exercises, is, hey, what's the problem that you solve for? But it's the experience, right? And it's how, how do we stand out in a commoditized 
world, um, you know, because let's let's face it, technology is creating more of that level playing field where it's easy to replicate the basics, whether it's payroll or, you know, I can think of a number of companies in that uh, would you agree with that? that been your I, I, I would a whole a whole bunch. And you know, there's a lot of people listening that probably have, you know, product companies that aren't necessarily that different. Meaning they sell something, um, you know, by the inch, by the pound, or something that is that is relatively commoditized. And they're trying to figure out, well, how do I do that if what I if what I offer is is basically a commodity, how do I differentiate it? I'm, I'm reminded yesterday, I'm a runner. So yesterday, I went to buy new running shoes. And I go into the store. There's a store. I don't know if they have them in Oklahoma, Rick. It's called The Running Room. They're mostly in Canada. They've got a few in the U.S., I think. So The Running Room is run by this guy named John Stanton. And he, and he sells shoes, like New Balance shoes, Nike shoes, Adidas. They're all the same. And you can get the exact same shoe for 20% less if you go into Amazon and, and, and buy the shoe. Yet he's built this amazing company, uh, more than 100 locations, uh, on the back of selling essentially a commodity. And you say, well, like, how does he do that? Um, he's done it by differentiating on the way he sells the shoes. So every product company, I believe, needs a service wrapper that makes it unique. If all you're doing is saying, we have the cheaper, like the, the same shoes and they're cheaper, you know, eventually you're going to get out Amazon to buy Amazon. And so what you've got to do is say, what is the service wrapper on top of that that really makes this unique? And in Stan's case, it's two things. Number one, he does a gate analysis. So I go into the store, it's like two o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday or whatever it was. And the guy's there and he's like, well, let me just see you walk for a second. And he says, oh yeah, you pronate a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got a recommendation for the shoe that you should buy. That's advice I would never have gotten had I gone to Amazon. So number one, he's giving gate analysis for free. Number two, he has these marathon training clinics, right? So on a Sunday morning, you can go to his store and for no cost at 8.30 in the morning, you can show up and you can go on a group run. And you say, well, why would he do that? I mean, it's, you know, I got to employ somebody, you got to open the store early on a Sunday. Like, well, it's part of what engenders loyalty, part of what brings people back. And it's part of what his service wrapper is around selling a relatively commoditized product. And so again, if, if you're selling something that is um, undifferentiated, meaning it's a commodity that people can get from other providers, it's not necessarily about you know, differentiating the product. It, it's really about codifying your methodology or your approach to selling it and, and really differentiating on that. Absolutely. Is it? How do you? How does your buyer, your customer, relate with you um, in that space when everything's commoditized? And I, th- I think that's great. I think of a couple local running stores that we have um, here, and I'm, I'm also a runner. And you're right; it's the stuff that they do. I can think of the beginner running clubs that they do. Yeah. And, right. In addition to some of those other things, and and they're great um, opportunities to build. What they've essentially done is built a community through some of these. Right. And um, price doesn't become the issue very often. Right. right. I mean, I just I, I think these shoes I bought might have been like, I, th- I think they were a couple hundred bucks. Like they weren't cheap shoes. Right. But I didn't I wasn't price sensitive in buying them. I wasn't saying, well, I might be able to get them for ten dollars less. They they built enough loyalty in the conversation that I was I was less price sensitive. Um, but here's the thing. One of the things that a lot of, I think, small business owners do 
is equate the idea of offering a differentiated uh, service uh, with um, providing great customer service. And so when I, you know, when I do a, a speech or whatever, and I'll talk to a group of small business owners, I'll say, what makes you guys unique? Like, why do small bit, why do customers buy from you and not one of your competitors? And one of the most common things I hear is, well, it's the customer service we provide. Oh, it's our customer service. We, we offer great customer experience. And, and we hear this genericized customer service. And I'm here to tell you that that's not good enough. Saying you differentiate your plumbing company or your HVAC company or your flooring company by offering great customer service, it's not good enough for your customers. And it's certainly not good enough for an acquirer. Because when a, when a customer looks at a company that offers quote unquote, great customer service, you have to experience that customer service in order to judge it. And therefore, it's not a great way to market your company by saying, we offer great customer service. What you need to do is go a level deeper and say, well, what is it about customer service that makes us truly unique? Like, what is it about our customer service? It's not just generic customer service. In the case of the running room, it's, yeah, they offer great customer service because everybody who walks in that store gets a free gate analysis. That's more tangible than just, quote, customer service. It's that going to the next level that gives you a point of differentiation that your customers will uh, will appreciate. But also when an acquirer looks at your company, they're not going to look at some nebulous thing like, well, they offer great customer service. Well, they're going to say, well, how do I do that? And how that's a squishy concept. How am I going to scale that? Whereas if you've got a proprietary methodology to doing a gate analysis in five minutes, you can teach a young store manager to deliver. That's the kind of currency or secret sauce they want to buy. They want to buy that methodology. They want to buy something unique, not just, again, quote, customer service. You've got to go down a level deeper to get specific and try to protect that idea and make it so that an acquirer couldn't easily just knock it off. It's a very good point. And, you know, I, I think the thing is I'm listening to you. Those are good concepts, whether you're thinking about putting your company up for sale or you're just trying to keep uh, the business growing and and being more of a self-managing company um, because one of the things I hear a lot of times is, well, we've been successful and we've always done it this way. And you know, what I hear, what I hear you saying is if you think, okay, customer service, maybe that is what got you out of the gate. But if, if you're really trying to get to the next level, you got to go deeper with that concept. Um, whether, whether you're selling or just trying to con- continue to be competitive in the marketplace. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, if if the delivery of what makes you unique is dependent on you personally, there's always going to be this hard ceiling beyond which you can't grow, right? So when you, if it is customer service as an example, I hate to harp on that, but, but and you are the arbiter of good customer service. In other words, you control the service level you provide, you sign off on every customer order, you personally go and inspect every job, whatever. There's obviously a limit to the, the, the size you can grow when you run out of hours in the day you reach that capacity. And so a lot of small businesses um, we see reach this point where, you know, it could happen in a million dollars in annual sales or 3 million, but, but they reach this sort of ceiling 
um, where their revenue flatlines. And so, you know, they, they might have an experience of growing very, very quickly and then flatlining and they can flatline for years. And, and when they say, well, why, you know, why is that? What are we doing wrong? But it, it's often that the business is just too dependent on the owner and the owners run out of time or, or they've run out of inclination to grow it. Like they're making good, a good living. Uh, they paid off their house and they drive a nice car and, and their life is good. So why would I, want to change. And, and, and of course that can, that can happen where we get sort of lulled into this sense of, uh, of complacency. But, you know, I hear this, I mean, you know, when I think about Amazon and, and how it is, it is really revolutionizing almost every industry. Um, you do have to wonder like how long that, that, that sort of gravy train will last in virtually every industry. Uh, I can't remember who it was. You'll probably remember Rick, the, um, I think it was the old express. Maybe it was Peter Drucker was the first guy to, to to say it. But the idea that if you're if you're just standing still, you're actually moving backwards. I don't. I think that's even more true than it is than it was. Before, you know, uh, years ago. Today, just given the pace of of change, the acceleration of technology, et cetera. Well, what what's interesting for me in that, and and this is one of the things that drives my desire to help business owners. It's not only to help them be prepared to have the conversation with the M&A or the business broker or whoever when the time comes. But to your point, I do see business owners and they've had successful businesses and they have people that are working for them and they get a little bit older, they start to get burned out and, you know, they don't want to change the way they've done that where they are the center. A lot of times their expertise or whatever. And consequently, so many times they've either, either sold at such a big discount because they, they haven't done the things to pull themselves out of the ownership role or what they've done. And I've seen this so many times um, is they've simply closed the doors, right? Mm. Like, like they said, I'm done. Um, and, and unfortunately, some of those end up going to work for another business. But what they've done is left a lot of damage um, behind, including people being laid off. And I think what's, what's most devastating in my view is the things that they've spent 20, 30 years creating, they never unlock the value out of it a, a lot of times. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm curious, you know, is, is that at the core of what you've seen with all the data points that you've seen? Is the biggest struggle been the business owner's unwillingness to really focus on how do I pull myself out? Yeah, I think, you know, our, you know society, the media, uh, really focuses on top line revenue growth as the ultimate panacea for every business, right? So, so you see it in 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 the in the people we celebrate on the magazine covers. The Inc. Five Thousand, for example, in the United States, is the five thousand fastest growing companies. We're sort of really lulled into the idea that growth at virtually any cost is is desirable, and and so you know a lot of small businesses. That's the main goal, right? Is to grow top line revenue, and and to do that, oftentimes they do it at the expense of the value of their company. So, um, you know, just focusing on revenue beyond anything else can oftentimes lead you to make decisions that that further trap you personally in the company, and and that eliminates or undermines your ability to to create freedom for yourself. So, yeah. I think- I think focusing on on building a company that's not dependent on you requires some different 
frankly, it's tougher. You know, like if all your goal is to just grow top line revenue, it's a relatively blunt instrument. You know, like it's it's relatively easy to to do that to a certain extent. Um, building value is a, you know, I, I think it's a much more uh, uh, challenging but ultimately rewarding uh, goal. What's interesting, I can tell you from a personal story. So I, I've got a wealth management business uh, that we run and it's separate from our business advisory on purpose. And as we started to grow, I, I stepped out of the day-to-day um, and I got to be honest with you, my ego took a little hit. Like my mm. clients, are, they're not going to think, you know, I'm critical to this equation any longer, but quite the contrary, what happened was it freed me up to build bigger relationships with those mm. folks and staying connection. And quite frankly, they're probably um, operationally, uh, we've improved that experience that the client goes through. And um, so I, I've seen it firsthand um, in that, and I'm encouraged by that. John, you know, so- can, can, Rick, can I just pick up on something there just because it's top of mind? You know, whenever I hear I'm going to, like whenever I have um, a vendor relationship with someone, in other words, like we just moved into a new home. So I, I feel like I've had these sorts of conversations. Like there's a guy who does the the cutting of the grass and there, there's a guy that does the security. Like there all these relations. And whenever I hear the owner is personally coming, coming to, to be our sort of point of contact, I have two emotions. The first is, oh, great. Well, that'll be great. He'll, he'll know his stuff for sure. I mean, he'll be really dialed into whatever we need. And then the other emotion is, and he's going to be terrible on follow through because <laughs> if he's what he proposed, proposes to be is the owner, then he's going to come in here, swoop in, tell us we need X, Y, and Z, and then be horrible at actually being our point of contact and delivering. And so I think even customers, I mean, let alone supplier acquirers, but I actually think customers, when they hear that, that you personally, the business owner is going to attend to their needs or be their wealth manager or whatever, they're probably like, well, yeah, Rick's probably, Rick probably is a good guy. And, under, but man, I kind of want the person who's, who's actually going to do the work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I actually kind of want the person who is actually going to be my point of contact. I want to get to know them. Yes. And, and fortunately, we've got a great team. And, oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I absolutely understand what you're saying because it happens so many times. Um, and, and let's face it, a business owner that's stuck, they get themselves stuck in that trap. And that's right. one of the, the value drivers that we look at. So you built the value builder system, you know, the eight key value drivers. Here's one thing I want to transition to, because mm-hmm. over the last year or so, you added another function to the program and it's called pre-score. Can you share with us a little bit of not only what that is, but why that evolution in the value builder system for your organization? Yeah, it was really inspired by, so pre-score stands for personal readiness to exit, pre, personal readiness to exit. And it evaluates how personally ready you are to leave your company. And so what we've experienced is that there are kind of two sides of a happy and lucrative exit for a business owner. The first side is the one we've traditionally focused on, which is that they have a company that is ready to sell. And that's really all about value building and making sure you do well in the eight key drivers of value that we measure in the value builder score. The other side of the equation, though, is how personally ready you are as an owner to leave your company. And this is something that we kind of ignored and really didn't focus on for the first six years of our business. And we just kind of said, well, I mean, that's that's for you know shrinks and psychologists to worry about. That's not our 
Probably sure. Right. But but actually it's it is. And and because if our goal is to level the playing field for business owners as they approach their exit and make sure that that business owners have happy and you know look back on their their exit with uh, without regret, um, we need to address this head on. And what we learned first. I got to give credit where credit is due through a guy named Bo Burlingham. Do you know Bo, Rick? I think I've met him at one of the conferences. Okay, so so Bo is uh, an epic uh, writer in this field of entrepreneurship. He was an editor at large for like twenty five years. He wrote the Great Game of Business with Jack Stack and. The Knack with Norm Brodsky, Small Giants was, was another book. But more recently, he's written a book called Finish Big. And in it, he describes the emotional impact of selling a company. And he really kind of twigged for me how negative some of the emotions can be when a business owner uh, who has built a business over, over their lifetime actually leaves their company. And so the, the book Finish Big is, is really a qualitative look at uh, some of the issues. Then more recently, the Exit Planning Institute in Chicago released a piece of research, which was shocking. It said that 75% of business owners surveyed a year after selling their company, three out of four, 75% end up regretting the decision to sell their business. And if you think about it, I mean, that's shocking, right? Like when, when, you know, society at large, when they hear about like, oh, you sold your company, it, it, it should rank up there with like, you know, your wedding day, your birthday, your first kid as like these, this monumental, exciting, wonderful day. Yet three quarters of owners are walking around the regret, regretting the decision to sell. And, and so we were really kind of fascinated by this and. And so that's when we sort of embarked on this, this analysis. I do this podcast you mentioned, so I went back and re-listened to a number of the episodes where owners sort of had regret. And we developed this analysis of the five factors most commonly that cause the regret. And we just basically knocked them off one by one in pre-score. And, and so you can go through and look at your score in these five dimensions and really have an early warning system so that you know... Uh, you know when you're likely to uh, to be setting yourselves up for for regret. There's kind of five major factors, and and uh, so yeah, that's pre-score. Recently, I had a business owner that was um, referred in to me, and we sat down. and It's interesting because during the conversation, it started out with "I want to sell my business," and as we started down the path of ask, just asking questions, right? And um, what's your time frame? What does that mean? Have you done this work? It was interesting because um, after the meeting, in, in the follow-up, um, as I talked with him, he had talked to his spouse, by the way, and this was a family business. And it was interesting because what came out was, uh, well, now we're considering my son, you know, so the transition starts. But to your point, a lot of times we don't think through the qualitative side of this thing. We think only in the numbers. Um and, and that's what I like about the program. And I have to say this, you know, I've, I've been involved with a, several different other programs, educated on them, read the books and different. What I like about this and what makes it useful for me in my engagement with business owners is its execution element to it, but also the constant scorecard. Your mm. ability your ability to say, and I think that's one of the things we left out, was I think the average score 
of the the, the fifty thousand businesses who have done business owners who have done um, the quiz ha, has been somewhere around fifty nine, if if I remember right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And what we know is by simply showing them this information of where they are, going through the questions with them, but also going deeper with exercises and, and execution, we can show them how we move the dial uh, and, you know, th the difference between value and growth, right? Because that's really, they're, they're two different things, right, John? They absolutely are. And, and yeah, you're, you're right. So, so I'll give you a couple of stats that you might find interesting. Um, average value builder score, the score is out of 100, by the way. So the average is 59. And when we analyzed the data, those businesses on average were getting offers of around 3.6 times pre-tax profit. Varies a little bit by industry, by company size, but on average, if you just look at an aggregate level, 50,000 businesses, it's like 3.6 times pre-tax profit. If we isolate just our users that achieve a score of 90 or greater, so these would be sort of the all-stars, the, you know, the best in class, they're on average getting offers of 7.1 times pre-tax profit or around double the average performing business. So, I mean, if you just apply that against your profitability and, and, and look at sort of what the difference would be between getting a three multiple and getting a six or seven multiple is, I mean, it's just, it's, it's massive. So that's number one. The, the other interesting stat that I find maybe even more interesting from an owner perspective is that when we look at the proportion of people that have received an offer, uh, in the last year, it's 12% across 50,000 businesses, 12% or roughly one in 10 business owners has received a written offer to buy their business in the last year. Yet when we isolate those that achieve a score of 90 or greater, again, our world-class performers, more than a third or 34% of them have received a written offer, meaning you're three times more likely to have received a written offer for your business if you've got a values builder score north of 90. And you may say, well, I don't want to sell. But here's the thing. If you're getting inbound offers for your company, I mean, that puts you in the ultimate uh, kind of catbird seat, the ultimate control position, right? You can deflect them, defer them. You can say double it and I might consider it. I mean, you got all the cards in your proverbial hand if you're just being constantly courted. And if there's anything I know about entrepreneurs is they, you know, they love control, right? Doesn't mean they want to sell, but man, would they like to be courted? And 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 uh, and wooed into uh, you know offers. That's that's pretty special. So yeah. Anyways, uh, that's those are two of the data points I find interesting. I think that's a different scorecard altogether. Um, <laughs> and, but yeah, the reality is we work hard at these businesses, and you know the thing that doesn't come out a lot of times is look. We all have lives. There's personal mm -hmm. issues. There, there are um, things that pop up. And should you ever be in a situation, I look at it from this standpoint, whether I want to sell the business, whether I want to hold it, I want to transition to the next generation. I want to make sure that I'm working on the business in a manner that it's going to be as valuable as I can make it so that no matter what happens, you know, health, things can happen. Life happens. What, why we wouldn't want to do the work to, to do this. And I think that's what I enjoy about the system that, that we utilize with the value builder. However, I do want to caveat this. Um, this is not, you know, sometimes I think it looks like, oh, this is this easy. I take a snapshot mm. and, hey, a year later, now I'm at 90, like John's talking about. The reality is 
this is a commitment and a mindset to say, look, I, I need to step out of the business and I need to work on this. And whether that's um, through a coach on a one-on-one basis or like we do, we do workshops and one-on-one and in the workshops, it is a commitment every month to come yeah. in and roll the sleeves up and work on the business with peers because there are other business owners. Um, but I'm curious, and that gets me to this question for you. So you have this platform and, and you, I've been around you enough to know you're, you've got a good handle on technology and the different platforms and you stay on top of that. What was it about the, the value builder system where you thought your, your platform was through certified coaches versus just offering it as some kind of online platform um, for business owners? Was there, a, yeah. was there something there? Yeah, there was. And that is that, you know, you know, the value of your company, your most important asset um, selling that is is such a personal uh, journey. It is such a personal it, it drives to the heart of who you are as a person, how much value someone would be willing to place on your life's work. I mean, it is a deeply, deeply personal conversation. It's not something you want to just plug in a bunch of numbers into a website. And, and, and so I think and continue to think that that personal re- relationship with your most trusted advisor is, is, is the most important way we kind of go to market. And so we chose early in the beginning that we weren't going to offer value builder directly. You can go to value builder and get your score, but, but we, 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 we make sure that anybody uh, who uses the system is doing so at the invitation of an advisor. And, and the reason for that is that, again, it's, it's such a personal conversation. It's wrapped up in your personal net worth, but much more than that, it's like you, who you are, uh, how, you know, how that presents to the world and, 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 and so it's just something that we wanted, so kind of a human being to to deliver, and that's why uh, we chose to license it to, uh, to to professionals and trusted advisors like yourself. Well, it's interesting because on another podcast I've been on recently, um, somebody really thought enough of the conversation, um, which we have happened quite a bit, and they went to our website and they took the quiz. And when I followed up with them, their conversation was, I knew it was just kind of this little tag and I knew somebody was going to call me. Um, but after we spent a little time figuring out, well, why did you, you know, why did you go down this path? Why did you decide to take the score? And, and that conversation goes deeper. Um, she actually thanked me, you know, Hey, I really appreciate it. I, you know, and, and more is coming out of that hmm. uh, because they took the first step to just see what the value builder score was all about. And, um, for me, I appreciate that you've done it that way because I know if we can get them to execute, and that's one thing I'm big on is I, I don't want to be a part of a program where we're just throwing ideas out there and saying, good luck. I want to help people, you know, try to make those dials move, uh, as we go through. And so I always appreciate the feedback from business owners, um, when they give us that. That's great. Yeah. So, so John, you built this system. It's helped a lot of business owners create value in their business. What I want to know is you're a business owner. And so, you know, we talk about vision a lot. Um, As you look out over the next three, four, you talked about legacy early on. What, what does your company look like the next 10 years? 
Yeah. So our goal is to, is to help a million businesses have more lucrative exits. Um, essentially, our proxy for that is that a business owner has engaged with the value builder system on some level. So at a minimum, that means they've completed the value builder questionnaire uh, all the way through. They're, they're fully ensconced in a, in a value builder engagement, which is our coaching offering that, uh, that people use. And so, yeah, we want to, we want to, help a million companies. And I think we'll feel like we've made some small dent in the universe when we get there. Uh, as you point out, we're at 50,000 right now and, um, and, and we've got a long way to go, but, but that's our, our goal. And then sort of, uh, if you were to raise that up, at even a sort of a higher level using a kind of a Simon Sinek term, kind of start with why it's, it really is to level the playing field for business owners as they approach their exit, which is where we started this conversation. The idea that, um, you, you know, for a lot of small businesses, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very intimidating, daunting process to sell their life's work. They've spent 30 years becoming an expert in whatever it is they do. Uh, they've written tons of marketing plans, done thousands of sales calls, um, but never gone through the process of, of exiting a company. And so we are trying to make that um, as easy and as lucrative, frankly, as, uh, as possible for owners. Well, I love it. And, you know, the ability to work with other advisors that our clients have, you know, whether it's their CPA, their estate planning attorney, their insurance folks, and bring it all together in a concerted effort um, really, really is helpful. Look, anybody listening to, you know, on the show, you know, if they think, hey, I want to learn more about pre-score or the value builder score, obviously it's on my website at epicsbiz.com, epicsbiz.com. But John, if they want to learn more about you and the value builder program, um, where, where can they go? Yeah, well, first of all, if they're in Oklahoma, go see you. <laughs> So, you know, uh, you know I, I just can't be say enough about the work you're doing, especially some of the group stuff you're doing in, in workshops. So, you know, I, I genuinely mean that if you're if you're in Oklahoma, I would definitely take you up on that offer to uh, to connect directly with you. Um, Beyond that, certainly, I think LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach out to me. Uh, my surname is kind of weird. It's W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. And that's probably just the best way to, to say hi. I, I, uh, I'm happy to accept LinkedIn connections and uh, we, can, we can start a dialogue that way. So as we wrap today's show, again, I thank you so much. Um, you're, you're a genuine guy, always a gentleman. And I appreciate your your help and willingness to be on the show today. What advice, you know, let's leave the show with maybe a piece of advice that you would give an entrepreneur today. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really to focus on how well your company would thrive without you and making that your your sort of daily goal. And um, if you can make little little notches at that every day, you know, a year or two from now, you'll, you'll find that it gives you all, you know, the ultimate freedom. Uh, you've got a sellable business if you ever want to sell it or, but you've also got a business that, um, that you can leave and know that it will, it will thrive without you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, John, again, thanks for being on the show today and guys, you've been listening to the over 50 entrepreneur podcast. I can't tell you how much we appreciate the fact that you took the time to listen today. And until next time, 
keep moving the dial. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com slash formula. And remember, we're only getting started.